and we're going to continue. You may have noticed we've um, we've kind of condensed things a little bit this morning, and uh, we're going to have some opportunity uh, after I've spoken to worship some more. Um, so we just wanted to make some space for that today. Uh, so we've kind of shortened the first part of our worship so we can worship some more at the end. Thank you. I just I just want to highlight the heart of a servant is uh, Joel Willis as got me a coffee. Okay, those of you who don't know me, my name's Steve. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and this morning uh, we are carrying on uh, a teaching series that we began last week. Um, you might remember last week we said that somewhere, somewhere in between last Sunday and this Sunday is our ninth birthday as a church, and so we've um, this week marked that occasion. It's our ninth birthday. There you go. Um, but um, it, it, it's also Tammy and I realised it's our our fifteenth year in ministry, uh, which is kind of scary. And uh, so we, um, some of you know, we planted a church a little bit by accident fifteen years ago. Um, and then came here and intentionally started this church. But um, it's been a thrill. It's been great. And so um, it's wonderful to look back on the last nine years and celebrate all that God's done here. But actually, we want to look forward, don't we? We we want to press on. We want to see what's in store for the next chapter. So we've been, we started a series last week just unpacking the the mission and vision of our church that what is it that God has called us to be and do? And I said last week that our mission is rooted in God's big story. In this, this big story that, that leads towards God renewing all things. That's what he's doing. Revelation 21, he says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And so we, we, we find our mission in this ongoing story of God. And um, we said last week, you know, how do we begin to, how do we begin to engage with that? What are some of the things that we perhaps give ourselves to, in order to to join God in His renewal of all things and bring the the, the communities and the neighbourhoods and and the places where we live to life? How do we bring life to those places? And so we, we kind of laid out six, six things last week that we feel are things for us to invest in, things for us to pursue for the next season in the life of our church. And so those six things were these. First one is prayer that fuels mission, communities, networks, and neighborhoods, disciples that make disciples, releasing leaders that impact nations. That sounds kind of grand, doesn't it? Uh, Restoring justice and compassion. And finally, the next generation. And I said last week, that's got nothing to do with Star Trek. So over the coming weeks, we're literally just going to take some time to unpack some of those headings and and see um, what the Lord might want to do. So this week, we're going to talk about developing a culture of prayer that fuels mission. Okay. Now I'm guessing, I'm not sure of this, but I'm guessing that um, many of us 
could understand a church having prayer at the centre of its life. We kind of, we all kind of see prayer as important. And any, any vision of any church that's worth anything probably should put prayer in there somewhere. You know, we, that's kind of how we, we see it, don't we? That prayer is kind of important. Jesus did it. Maybe we should too. You know, we have that, that, that kind of, kind of mentality. And although we, we see prayer as important, we, we see prayer as a, an integrated part of church life. It's something that we were called to give ourselves to. Often, we find it difficult to maintain and we find it difficult to keep at the center of activity in church life. I don't know if you would agree with that. And I guess the big challenge is why would that be? I mean, Prayer is um, this amazing thing. Prayer changes things, doesn't it? We, you and Heart High have the, have the means to talk to God in such a way that it changes the outcome of things. That we can pray things that cause an effect. That's, that's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person is, is powerful and effective. So what we pray can cause an effect. But in all honesty, it's, it's still difficult, isn't it? It's still hard. Why, why is it still hard? Why do we still struggle with this? Well, there could be a number of reasons. Maybe we have a false understanding of what prayer is. Maybe we think we have to position ourselves in a certain way, or we, we have to be holy enough before we can pray. Maybe we feel our prayers aren't being heard. Maybe we become despondent with prayer because we have unanswered prayers. Maybe we fear praying because we don't like what the outcome might be. And maybe, this is a very real one, we've got an enemy who wants us to be ineffective at prayer that doesn't want us to succeed in this area of prayer. And so as we talk about prayer, I'm conscious there are some obstacles. There are some obstacles that can get in the way. There are things that stop us. I want you to also know I'm speaking from a place of weakness this morning. Um, I wouldn't say I am the best person to talk about prayer. And you might think, doesn't that kind of disqualify you <laughs> from the job you do? Aren't you like paid to pray? Um, yeah. But just for the sake of transparency and the sake of honesty, this is, this is something that I wrestle with. But the truth is, so does everyone else. The truth is we all struggle with consistently praying and seeking God. So maybe of us, some of us can take comfort in this, this story I came across this week. It says this, in a, in a small Texan town in Mount Vernon, Drummond Bar began construction on a new building to increase business. The local Baptist church started campaigning to block the bar from opening with petitions and prayers. Work progressed right up till the week before the opening of the bar, and then lightning struck and burnt the bar to the ground. The church folk were rather smug at the outcome, 
until the bar owner decided to sue the church on the grounds it was ultimately responsible for the demise of its new building, either direct or indirectly. The church vehemently denied their responsibility of any content to destroy this building. And so this, this, it gets to court and the, and the judge looks puzzled. And he makes this comment, he says, I don't know how uh, I'm going to decide on this. It appears from my paperwork, we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire church who doesn't. So where should we begin? Where should we start as we begin to unpack this idea of prayer fueling mission? Well, what I've got to say today is actually quite simple. Um, I only want to make two points, and they're quite brief. Um, again, that might disqualify me, because you meant to make three points. Um, the kind of prayer that we want to talk about this morning is, is prayer that has a transformational effect. Prayer that changes things. So we've, we've nicked that phrase, a prayer that fuels mission. But you could, you could say sort of missional prayer or um, transformative prayer. You, you can give it whatever kind of title uh, you want to give it. But essentially, we're, taking, we're talking about prayer that has the power to shape history. That Prayer that has the power to change things in our midst. And that we're all called into that. I guess the, the Christianese word would be intercession. Praying on the behalf of others. Praying things into being. Seeing God move as the result of things we pray. And the reality is that prayer and mission go hand in hand. The guys at 24-7 prayer, they, they say that um, prayer is the breathing, prayer and mission is, is the breathing in and the breathing out of the kingdom. Sometimes we, we have a tendency to reduce prayer to simply, you know, kind of like rubber stamping the thing that we just want to do. Okay? And so we get a good idea and we think, well, we better pray about it. And there you go. We've, 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 we've authorized it. We've prayed about it. We're going to do the thing that we want to do. And, and, and actually, um, prayer is about propelling us well, the kind of prayer we're talking about is about propelling us into mission. We see this in the prophet Isaiah, don't we? The prophet Isaiah is caught up in God's presence and he's worshipping him and he sees the glory, the glory of God. And it's in that experience of, of God's presence and, and, and in prayer that, that God says, who's going to go? And what does I do? He says, here am I. Send me. Send me. You see, it's, it's, it's prayer that, that forces us into, into mission. And so we experience God's presence in prayer. We come before him and we pray. And, and it's in that place we're sent. It's in that place that we, 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 we go. So you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, 
And we're going to quickly just look at a prayer meeting in the early church. Acts chapter 4, picking up in verse 23. Peter and John, two of the apostles, um, had have just been before the religious authorities of the day. They're being questioned. And, you know, the religious authorities are feeling a bit jittery about this uprising of Jewish believers following this this person, Jesus. And so um, they leave They leave the religious leaders. It says, uh, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers uh, band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did, uh, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And spoke the word of God boldly. I don't know about you, but that's a that's a pretty impressive prayer, isn't it? Um, for this group of people to pray, and um, you know they are under pressure. Um, they've got threats against them, and they pray with boldness. He says, "Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness." And then the building shook. Do you know what that says? Dodgy builder. No. Uh, The building shook and the presence of God was there. That's a pretty impressive prayer meeting, isn't it? You know, if if you were put off going to prayer meetings because they're boring, you might be put off in case the building fell down. Um, That's an impressive thing to go to. So this morning I just want to pick on one verse in that that whole passage, and that's in verse 24. And it's this. It says, you know, they've they come back to the people, and, it's, and, and the people respond. They say, it says, verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together and prayed to God, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. The first thing you'll notice about this is they didn't start a prayer meeting. They just prayed. I don't know if you noticed that. They, they just prayed. This, there's this sense that something rose up in them and they prayed. They, it just spontaneously erupted in them. And they prayed this magnificent prayer. And I guess the question is, is why did they pray? 
And I think they prayed because they knew prayer works. They knew prayer works. I told you it's going to be profound today. There was loads of practical things they probably should have been doing. They're in crisis. The, the, the threat of the authorities against them. Maybe, maybe they needed to consider that, that the, the apostles just went a bit low for a while. Maybe cut back on signs and wonders for a bit. But they didn't do that, did they? They prayed. They prayed. Instead, they prayed because they understood that prayer works. How many of us in this room have had an answer to prayer? How many of us? So just some of you, just give me a sentence. How God answered the prayer. Got a job. Any others? Back was healed. Any more? Sent you to Northampton. Coming to faith. Got loads of people with their hands up. It's not. Wasn't a trick question. Financial provision. Wasn't a trick question, honestly. Everyone, go on. Put your hand up again. Okay, keep your hand up. Colin. Brother out of depression. Healing. Finding a house. Supporting uni. Financial provision. Got a job. Found the church. Resigning from a job. Healing. Protecting your business. We've got a room full of people who have answered prayers. Isn't that amazing? That at some point we've all come to a place where we've said, this prayer thing's got to work. This has got to work. And so all of us have got testimony that says prayer works. Prayer changes things. Isn't that, isn't that good? Um, you know, turn that frown. Um, <laughs> but it's good, isn't it? That we have this ability to actually change the course and direction through this thing we call prayer. So they believed prayer worked. The second thing, and it's as equally as profound, is that they prayed because they were desperate. They prayed because they were desperate. The powers that be, the Sanhedrin, were threatening them. And all they had on their side was the God of the universe. And so they prayed. And they prayed out of desperation. You ever notice that prayer often, or desperation often leads us to prayer? I don't know if you've, you, you've noticed that. And have you ever noticed that Christians and churches who are in more hostile environments don't have much difficulty praying? It's only us in our, in our Western context that seem to have to have talks like this talking about prayer. But actually, those who find themselves in crisis often don't struggle with prayer. See, desperation drives us to pray. You know, what if you was to go to the doctor this week and um, 
And God forbid you got a, a diagnosis that was terminal. Would you walk out of that doctor's surgery saying, you know what, I think I should pray, but I just really struggle with it. You wouldn't, would you? You would be desperate. You would be praying, you'd be praying all sorts of ways and praying in tongues and you don't believe in tongues and you'd be doing all that you can to change that situation. You see, often in our Western context, Prayer is difficult, but I don't think it's difficult at all. Because I don't think prayer is the issue. I think we have a comfort issue. We don't have a prayer issue, but we have a comfort issue. That it's easy for us to be comfortable. And so because of our comfort, we can find ourselves not engaging in this need to pray. So these guys in this passage, they prayed because it worked. They knew prayer worked. They they knew it was effective. But they also prayed because they were desperate. Because they had nowhere else to go. They had no one else to turn to. So our struggle with prayer can often reveal the realities of our comfort. But I actually think it reveals something more damning than that. I think it reveals something more epidemic than that. I think it reveals our sense of apathy. That we we kind of live in a culture that is apathetic, don't we? We, we, we live in this culture that kind of just shrugs its shoulders at a lot of things. And so our our ability to engage in prayer in a really intentional way, our ability to see transformation take place in us and in the communities around us, can often be stumped by our own sense of apathy. Let me ask you a question. When you woke up this morning, how desperate was you for Jesus to transform your life today? How desperate? How desperate was you that the lives of your neighbours might be transformed? Or your work colleagues? Or your family members. Or your friends. How desperate was you? How many of us are crying out to God? Lord, change me. Transform me. How many of us are crying out to God? Lord, will you change our town. Lord, will you, will you change this place? Will you let your kingdom come? Your will be done. Do we, do those prayers even come on our radar? I think the reality is, is they don't. Because our prayers often are kind of just like shopping lists, aren't they? 
you know, I've got this need, I've got this. Amen. And that's kind of how we approach prayer. If there was ever an epidemic in our culture, it's the epidemic of apathy. Some definitions of apathy. Apathy is a lack of feeling, emotion, interest or concern. Apathy is a state of indifference or um, the suppression of emotions such as excitement, motivation or passion. To be apathetic means that you lack concern about the emotional, social, spiritual or physical life and the world that you're a part. You see, when we have apathy, we lack purpose, don't we? When we're apathetic about things, we, we, we lose meaning. And we get distracted by meaningless things. We get caught up in squabbles and fights and things that don't really matter. In 1727, a group of uh, displaced Christians called the Moravians began to pray. And uh, they were a fairly displaced, but also disgruntled and just a, you know, an apathetic kind of people. And God invited them into something. He invited them to pray. And so in, in 1727, this small group of believers made a covenant with one another. And they began to pray. And what they did was at least three of them would pray for an hour every day, unceasing. Do you know how long that prayer meeting lasts for? 110 years. 110 years they prayed. Night and day. Night and day. 65 years into praying, they sent 300 missionaries around the world. Prayer fuels mission. When we pray, it fuels the things that God wants to do. And you know, the effects of that 100-year prayer meeting went further than that. One of those Moravians sailed on a boat to America and they met an Anglican priest who wasn't a Christian. And his name was John Wesley. And John Wesley encountered these Moravians and he came back to England and he had a conversion experience that gave birth to the Methodist Church. And and, and two things John Wesley did. He first of all, he stopped a bloody revolution. Okay, the French Revolution had already happened and it could have happened here. But he also saw most of our nation come to Christ. Prayer fuels mission. Prayer fuels mission. 
See, any great move of God is always precursed with people who get on their knees and pray. And so a small, displaced group of people, this Moravian people, got down on their knees and prayed. Did they know what the outcome would be? I don't think so. But actually, many of us have ridden on the coattails of that prayer. Many of the things that we see God do is a result of 110 years of prayer. And you know, there is this overwhelming sense that God wants to do something. You know, I chat to different people in our movement and in other churches. And there is this sense that that God does want to move. You know, last week we said there's 180,000 people in this town that don't know Jesus. And we said, let's make that a bit more personal. Some of them are your friends, your family, your co-workers. Some of them are the people you interact with on a, on a daily basis. And Jesus is passionate about them people coming into his kingdom. He is fervently passionate about seeing men and women enter into life with him. I guess the question is, is how desperate are we? How desperate are we? Because if we suffer with this apathy, I don't think we'll ever be desperate enough. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, he prayed this famous prayer. He said, Lord, I've heard of your fame. And I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. But in wrath, remember mercy. Remember mercy. If there was ever a prayer for us to pray, it's that one, isn't it? Lord, we've seen and heard all the wonderful things that you've done. Lord, we know that you can move in power. We know that you answer prayer. Will you come and do it again? Will you do it again? Will you come amongst us again? Will you empower your people again? We have mercy on us again. Now I planned this morning to to talk about models of praying. You know, we're we're doing vision, this is how we're gonna pray, and these are the things we're gonna pray about, and these are the things we're gonna invest in. And I just, I just felt yesterday the Lord said, Don't don't go there, Steve. Don't go there. Because you know what? We could spend a lot of time getting the models right. But if the passion isn't there, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. If we don't have the passion in us in the first place, then it's a complete waste of time. Unless we're desperate, the models aren't going to work. And so... 
I found myself this week, last night in fact, repenting. And I just felt the Lord prompt me to do that again today. And um, to invite some of you to do that with us. And um, I'm conscious that we try hard not to be weird. Um, But we're going to have a dispensation this week, okay? We're going to have a dispensation to be a little weird. Because I think this is a really serious issue. Apathy will kill us. Lack of passion will kill us. Not caring and being desperate enough for this place we call home will kill us. You know, we can fill this place. And we can fill this place and we can welcome lots of people in. But if all we're doing is shuffling the deck, you know what? I'll go back to being a graphic designer. There's thousands of people in this place who don't know Jesus. There's communities in this town that need transformation. There's groups of people living in isolation and pain who need someone like you. Are we desperate enough and bold enough to say, okay, God, we're going to pray and see where you lead us. And so, I'm going to repent before you. I'm going to repent of apathy. And if you want to do the same, I'm going to invite you to do that. Lord, we confess. We confess our sin before you. Lord, where we've lacked passion. Where we've not been desperate, Lord. Make us desperate. Lord, we confess our prayerless lives. We confess our prayerless lives. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord.
Lord, let your mercy come. Let your mercy come, Lord. Break our hearts. Yes, Father, in our confession, I just pray that we remember that the blood you poured out for Northampton, Lord. The blood that you shed for every one of us in this room, Lord. Least that not be enough that we would be fueled to do your work, Father. Father, you haven't even asked us to pay the same price you paid. Because you've already paid it, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy upon us. And we ask you to move, Lord, in your love and compassion, that we may be fueled to move in love and compassion. Thank you. And so, Father, we pray together. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done, Lord. In Northampton, Lord, as you see in heaven, forgive us this day our daily bread, Lord. And forgive us our trespasses, Lord, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, and deliver us from temptation, Lord. Lord, just lead us into your holy place, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, 
I really feel God's saying that um, there's some people here who um, read that top line and say, um, Lord, I've heard of your fame, and for them it just stops there. They've heard of it. Um, even, I think, people who've been coming to church all their life have just, they really feel that they've heard of God's fame, but they haven't experienced it. And also, I think there's, a, there's a, another set of people who, um, who feel that it's hard, to go, it's hard to go out there and share this. And the easiest thing to do is to invite people to church, but people aren't coming and you feel a bit disheartened. I'll tell you now, that's not how it works. Your job isn't to get them to come here and listen to him tell them the gospel. Your job is to tell them the gospel. He isn't there. You are. And he's never going to meet them unless, you know, they come to see Jesus through you and then they perhaps come along. They might not even come to this church. That's not important. But you're, God's put you where you are so you can speak to those people. And you, say, and you might sit there and say, but I'm not qualified. I'm not like Steve. I don't know the Bible. That, it's irrelevant. None of it matters. The Holy Spirit gives us the qualification to do it. That's all you need. You need the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so, if Tom's going to lead, I, honestly, please, if you've never experienced God like that, if you think, I've seen people who have been prayed for and weird things have happened and they've shaken, and you've never, ever experienced that, don't leave this place. Because what Steve said won't make any difference to your life if you don't go out with the Spirit. So if that's you... You can come and see me, you can come to the front, you can jump up and down and say, I want a piece of that. But basically, God has got something for you, and you need, and that's what all you need, that's all you need. And it's free, and it doesn't cost anything, and with that, you can do anything. Okay, so maybe as Tom's, um, as we carry on worshipping, if that's you, please, please, please don't leave um, without that. And don't be embarrassed, don't think, I can't ask for it now because I've been coming to church for 30 years or... 10 years or whatever and I've never experienced that don't worry about it we'll, we'll pray for you there'll be people praying for you if you can ask the person next to you or someone that you respect and love or you can come and um, find one of us or anyone anyone will pray for you and ask God just a simple prayer to ask God to um, the Holy Spirit to come into your life why don't, why don't we worship should we stand For we trust in our God And through his unfailing love We will not be shaken We will not be shaken We will not be shaken For we trust